Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. Thank you, Brother Zion. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? I think we ought to give him another hand clap of praise. I was glad when they said to me, amen, amen. I'm going to turn your attention to the book of Matthew chapter 10. I'll be reading several verses from there. And as you're standing, I want to give honor to the saints of God this morning and who you are and all of the prayer and fasting that has been going on in this church. It's certainly felt and it's certainly wasn't prayer powerful last night. I know so many people were here and uh, just a great touch of God here. And I believe God's going to do something special today. Amen. Because of that prayer, because of those prayers that were prayed last night, I certainly give honor to our pastor. We have the greatest pastor in the world, don't we? Amen. I'll tell you what, be seated for just a moment. On um, in this final week of this series, we are teaching the system of the Anchor Church. It is the, the vision of the Anchor Church is, is we often see that. We often, you, you see it as soon as you enter into the foyer, it's, it's, it's restoring people to a greater purpose. Will you say that with me? Restoring people to a greater purpose. That is the vision of the Anchor Church. If, if these seats could talk of all of the people who have been restored by the hand of God, by, by the things that God has done through his body, through his church. If these seats could tell all the stories uh, that have happened within, these, uh, within this church, uh, it, would be so, uh, it would be so numerous that, that it would blow our minds. I really believe this church has been a church that has and continues to be a place where people are restored. Amen. Amen. And so the vision of the church is restoring people to a greater purpose. The system of the church is, is how we accomplish that vision, how people are restored. We love. Everybody say love. We love God and love people. Number two, we grow. Everybody say grow. We grow in faith. And number three, we go. Everybody say go. Go. We go save the world. That is the way that the vision is accomplished. We love, grow, and we go. And on this last week of this series, I will be teaching on the subject, go. On the subject, go. I know you just sat down, but would you stand with me for, for the reading of the word? I, I, didn't re- I didn't know how long that introductory part was going to be, but it didn't end up being too long, Brother Gene. Matthew 10 and 26. Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. Jesus said, what I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Matthew 10 and 
32, scroll down just a little bit. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, get this, get the gravity of this statement. Who shall confess me before men, him will I also him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Before we go on, I just want you to lift your hands toward heaven. And I know we've prayed already, but I want you to ask the Lord to open your spirit to his word. There's a touch of God here already. Lord, I've got notes. I've got things that I believe you've given me. But Lord, I also recognize what I feel in this room. God, and I pray, oh Lord. I pray, oh God. God, that there would be a touch from heaven that comes down to your people this morning. God, that compels us. God, that compels us to not be a hearer but a doer, that compels us to, to, to receive, God, and not only receive but give. I pray today, O oh Lord, do what only you can do in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16 records the last words in the book of Matthew. He's speaking to his disciples, and you and I know this portion of Scripture as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. He said in Matthew 28, 16, then the 11 disciples, everybody say disciples. That's a key word here in just a moment. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Who's he saying this to? His disciples. Somebody say disciples. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, disciples, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. In the book of Acts, we just read the last words of Matthew. And now, if you'll go a little bit further in the New Testament, you'll, we will read the last words that Jesus ever spoke on this earth. He had, he had been killed, hung on a cross. He had died, been buried resurrected and dwelled on the earth for, for 40 days. He was seen of men, Scripture says. And 
At the end of, at the conclusion of those 40 days, we find these words in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. The point that, that I make in reading these scriptures to you on this Sunday morning is he spoke these words to his disciples. He spoke these words to men and women that uh, were a lot like you and I. And I think sometimes the, um, the way some pacify the call of God to reach a neighbor or reach somebody in the world. I think the way people pacify that call of God is to say, well, that is for the disciples. That is for the ministers. That's for the pastor. That's for the young ministers. That's for the outreach director. I think if some of us were honest in this room and would really peel back the layers, there would be some that have possibly numbed the call of God or ignored even the call of God to share what God has so generously and graciously given to us. The scripture that I just read in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 tells us plainly that you will receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye, everybody say ye, shall be witnesses unto me. Who is ye? <laughs> who, who, is, who is ye? Who is he talking to? He is talking to the people who have been filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. If you have the Holy Ghost, would you raise your hand? There's a lot of people in this room that have the Holy Ghost. And if you don't have it, you can receive it today. Amen. But he called, amen. But he commissioned those that have been filled with the Holy Ghost to be a witness. And so the argument or the thought that comes that that's not my role in the kingdom of God is false. Amen. It's, it's a false sense of, it's a, it's, it is incorrect to say that is a minister's job, a pastor's job, a, a, a leader in the church's job. It is our job as the body who have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost to be witnesses. Somebody say amen to that. If you are filled with the Holy Ghost, you have been commissioned by God to be a witness. Oh, what an amazing thing it would be. Oh, what an amazing thing it is that, that Jesus' last words on this earth would be to us, to you and me. Those that he fills with the Holy Ghost will be witnesses. The standard definition of a disciple, we throw that term around a lot, disciple. 
He's a disciple of, of, of Christ. But, but the standard definition of disciple is someone who adheres to the teachings of another. It's a simple definition. A disciple is someone who adheres to the teachings of another. It is a follower or a learner. A disciple, it refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else. Applied to Jesus, a disciple is someone who learns from him to live like him. Someone who, because of God's grace, conforms his or her words and ways to the words and ways of Jesus. That is the definition of a disciple. Now, in the days of Christ, there was no educational system. There was no school system. There was, there was no K through 12 here at ACA. There was no, there was no school system in, in that day. What, what, what there was is, is there were individuals who became masters of trades and skills. And they would take on pupils. They would take on, uh, they would take on uh, young men or young ladies that showed uh, that showed a passion or a uh, possibility of being good at a certain trade. So fishermen would train young men to become fishermen, right? Carpenters would train others to become carpenter carpenters. Priests would take on young men or individuals to become priests. They would take them on. They, they would be called pupils or in the context of spiritual teachings, they would be called disciples. It was those who was following a master and listening to his teachings and obeying his teachings. We find in the scripture that John had disciples. Amen. John had disciples. We see in the scripture that the disciples, it was not just 12 men. They were actually referred to apostles more than they were disciples. But, but disciples was not just 12 men. In Acts chapter 6, it, in, in those days, Acts 6, 1, in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the 12 called the multitude of disciples. Somebody say multitude. The multitude of disciples and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve. And they, and they went on to all of this. But the point that I am making to you is it was not just uh, 12 disciples. There was a multitude of disciples. According to scripture, there, there was more than just a few disciples that, that spread the gospel. In Matthew 27 and 57, Joseph of Arimathea was referred to as a disciple. Acts chapter 9 and verse 10, Ananias was called a disciple. Acts 9.36, Tabitha was called a disciple. Acts 16 and 1, Timotheus was called a disciple. Acts 21 and 6, Manasseh of Cyprus was called an old disciple. Some of you might be old disciples, but you're a disciple. I'll let you define old today. And so we see in the book of Acts, men and women, young and old, Greek, Hebrew, we see all of these differences, but yet we still see disciples of Jesus Christ. 
And so that lets us know on this Sunday morning that a disciple is not just a pastor, is not a young minister, it's not a leader in the church. A disciple is every person in this room who has listened to the teachings of Jesus, obeyed the teachings of Jesus, and is doing their best to walk with Jesus. If you are a believer of the teachings of Jesus, please stand. Please remain standing if you have repented, been baptized, and received the Holy Ghost. And please remain standing if you are actively pursuing to obey all of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Look around. You are looking at disciples. You are looking at disciples. I want us to say together, I am a disciple. I am a disciple. One more time. I am a disciple. You may be seated. We have been called to be disciples, to hear the teaching, to obey the teaching, and to relay that teaching. That is what disciples or witnesses do. They tell of what they have seen, what they have heard, and what they have experienced. And while your context of being a witness or a disciple might look different from Pastor Bounds, it is you are still a disciple. We will operate in different fashions, in different roles, and even in different geographical locations. But nonetheless, we are all called by God to be a disciple. But I am very familiar and well aware of it. It's very possible for salt to lose its savor. It's very possible for the people of God to, to, to that, that were once so excited and, and so enthralled about what God had, did, had done in their life. It's very possible for salt to lose its savor. It's very possible for, for somebody who has been saved and, 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 and healed by God and touched by the grace of God. It's very possible for, for an individual to become comfortable with where they are and how they're living and what they've been given. I, I myself, growing up in church, I came to a place where I took for granted the things that had been given to me. The church that had been, uh, that had been uh, mandated <laughs> to, to go to. I, I, church wasn't optional. Church was a requirement in the up-to-grave household. It was a requirement. It was something I had always done, always been to, and always been a part of. And it's easy for somebody who has grown up in the church, around the blessings of God, around the favor of God, it's easy for that person to become comfortable and casual with the gift that has been given to them. But I wish on this Sunday morning there would get a new and fresh fire that falls on some people who have grown up in the church and say, yeah, I've been given a great gift. I would do a disservice to those that are around me to not share what I have been given. He does say that the salt that loses its savor will be cast into the fire. I don't want to be cast into the fire. 
I don't want to become somebody that, 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 that doesn't exemplify or show the love of Jesus. I want to pivot here and share a story with you of how a revolution began, of how one of the greatest revolutions in modern times sparked throughout the Middle East. Some 10 years ago, Raymond Woodward shared this story at Because of the Times, and I will share it to you this morning. December 18th of 2010 marked one of the biggest days in history in the Middle East. It was the beginning of the Arab Spring. Citizens from all across the area had become tired with over 30 years of corrupt police forces and government officials. Literally millions of people joined together in rallies to protest and stand against the corruption. Thousands of people lost their lives in hope of a free country during these uprisings. Because of the Arab Spring, rulers were forced, listen, rulers were forced from power in Tunisia, Egypt, Libya, and Yemen. Civil uprisings erupted in Bahrain and Syria. Major protests broke out in Algeria, Iraq, Jordan, Kuwait, and Morocco. And minor protests occurred in Lebanon, Martania, Oman, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, and Western Sahara. By the time February of 2012 came, governments had been overthrown in four countries. Tunisian President Ben Ali fled to Saudi Arabia on January 14th of 2011 following the Tunisian Revolution protests. In Egypt, President Muammar Gaddafi, I'm sorry, President Mubarak resigned on February 11th, 2011 after 18 days of massive protests ending his 30-year presidency. The Libyan leader, Muammar Gaddafi, was overthrown on August 23, 2011. And Yemeni President Ali Abdullah was overthrown and replaced. How, the question I, I ask after reading all of this information of the great uprising that came in the Middle East is how did this all begin? What sparked such a revolution that caused nearly 50 million people to buy into the vision of a country without corruption? The answer is this. One day prior to the beginning of the Arab Spring, December 17, 2010, three government police officers viciously harassed Tunisian street vendor Mohamed Bouzizi. These officers, these police officers, state police officers, took from him the money he had made in order to provide for his family and then trashed his produce stand. For Bauzizi, this was nothing new. He had dealt with these corrupt police officers for years. But on this day, Bauzizi decided to act. He then made his way to the nearest government building, demanding a meeting with the police chief of Tunisia. His request was ignored. It was then Mohammed Bazizi did the unthinkable. He purchased a container full of gasoline, made his way to one of the busiest places in the city, poured gasoline on his body, 
and lit himself on fire. And because one man decided to light himself on fire, governments fell to the ground and millions of people joined together to fight for the cause of freedom. One man lit himself on fire. One man became tired of the corruption. One man became tired of the evil around him and lit himself on fire. And oh, that God's people would light themselves on fire again. Oh, that God's people would become so dissatisfied, would become so frustrated with the evil that is present and ever-growing, with the corruption that is around us yet every day as we walk and live. Oh, that the people of God would light themselves on fire once again. Oh, that the people of God would adhere to the commandment of Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I, I believe the Lord has positioned me on this Sunday morning to tell somebody that there's got to be something that happens in us again. There has to be a fire that ignites in us again. There has to be a fire that is rekindled within the people of God again. God forbid that we think for one second that this church is big enough. God forbid that we think for one second that this church is at its capacity or has enough people to be content and just maintain until the Lord comes. We have a commission from God to go, to reach the world, to be a witness. We have a commission from God. It was the will of God in Leviticus chapter 9. He designed for the priest to offer sacrifice, to offer a sacrifice to God. And that sacrifice was killed. That sacrifice was, was slaughtered and completely lifeless. And when that sacrifice would stop twitching or stop moving, the Bible says that a fire would fall down from heaven. The only thing left of the sacrifice was the fire that consumed it. The only way you and I are going to save this lost and hurting world is if we will lay ourselves on an altar and we will die to who we are, to what we want, to our desires and our ambitions and dreams and all of these things, our complacency, our apathy, our, our laziness. We've got to die to all of it and we've got to say, Lord, I want to carry a cross and follow you. Uh, back in my opening text, Matthew 32, Matthew 10 tells us, Whosoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny before my Father which is in heaven. And on down it says, He that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. These are hard words to 
digest. These are hard words to hear, but it's the word of God. And if it's the word of God, we will stand before him and give an account to it. Numbers chapter 16, I'm, I'm wrapping up. And verse 43 speaks of a story that is applicable to today. Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. The Lord spake to Moses saying, Get up from among the congregation that I may consume them as in a moment. They fell upon their faces. Moses said to Aaron, Moses said to Aaron, take a censer, put fire therein from off the altar, put on incense, and go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. The Lord said, get away from these people. I'm getting ready to destroy them. Moses in quick response to what the Lord was doing. Come here, Logan. Moses said to Aaron, he said, Aaron, I want you to take a coal. I want you to take a coal from off the altar. Grab a coal. But don't grab it with your hand. That would be a terrible idea. Grab it with a tong or something and, and put, it, put it in the censer. Puts it in the censer, and the censer's hanging. And the Scripture records that Moses sends Aaron, that a plague starts. I don't know if it started from the left or the right. I don't know. But a plague began. And as, literally, as this was happening, people were dying. They were falling dead. The Bible says that Aaron, that Moses told Aaron to take off. I want you to, I want you to run down that middle aisle to the back door. Run, 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 run. Like basketball yesterday. There you go. He ran, he ran literally through the congregation. He ran in the midst of the congregation, 47, and behold, the plague was begun among the people, and he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. Watch verse 48. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. What stood between people who had quickly went into eternity and people that had another opportunity. What stood between those two groups of people? I'll tell you what it was. It was fire from off of an altar that had an offering put on it that was lifeless that God had consumed. And it was the fire from off of the altar that when it went, that when it went to this people that judgment had been promised to, that when it went through this people, the living were on one side and the dead were on the other side. The difference in our day and age is, is not much. What will make the difference between those who make it and do not will be somebody that has died, laid their life on an altar, and and become willing to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do.
wherever you want me to go, I'll go. And it was that fire, it was that consumed offering that, that God, that Moses used in that moment to spare hundreds of thousands of people. We have a commission today to present nothing less than our bodies, nothing less than our time, our talent, our treasure, our desires. We have a commission from God to present ourselves entirely, entirely. Judgment is promised to this world, but it will be those who have visited an altar, died, and been set on fire that will keep judgment from falling on the people around you. I want you to stand with me. We have a commission from God to go. What that looks like in your life versus mine might look different. But I've made it, made it a point. I don't want to just go for a season and then live the rest of my life comfortably. It was at a teen. It was in, it, it was as a teenager that 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 the Lord gave me a dream of my high school. Young people praying in this auditorium. It was filled with young people from my school. I can see their faces. I can see Morgan Alfman and I can see Zach Lee. I can see them in that dream as vivid as, I, as, as, as anything. I could see them in that dream lifting their hands and praising God. And I looked down from the top of that auditorium and saw a praise and worship service going on. I woke up from that dream and I knew the Lord had dealt with me about doing something about those that were lost in my high school. We had a service called Solution. Many of you attended it. You came to it. From that, from that service, we saw many filled with the Holy Ghost. We saw many people. We, we, we made that service. That service went for 10 years. It, it went... Uh, it, it, we, we did it once every year, and it went for 10 years, and, and there was a great touch of God. But, but it didn't happen because, uh, because of my last name. It didn't happen because where I grew up. It didn't happen because of anything. It happened because God got a hold of me. And when God got a hold of me and asked me for something, I was willing to give what he asked for. And when, he, and when I gave what he was asking for, he gave me more than I could ever possibly repay him. While it is a tall order to give him everything, it is not such a tall order when you think about everything that you will see, receive in return. Young man, young lady, you better hear me. There's nothing that you will give to God that he will not pour on you exceedingly abundantly more. That's the... I want every adult to hear me. We don't graduate from sacrifice. We don't graduate from obeying the word of God. We don't get to just become comfortable Christians because we've done it before. But no, we've been commissioned by God, instructed by Paul. Paul said, I die 
daily. There's an altar in my life every day. There's an altar that I drag this flesh on. There's an altar that I drag this body on and I die. I die to my will. I die to myself. I die to my ways. I realize this is heavy this morning, but it's right. We've got to get it in us again to get ourselves on the altar and die to our will. So I don't know what it looks like for you. I don't know what going looks like for you, but I know that it includes something Something has to be done. Not yesterday, but now. Lauren and I have made a commitment to each other to open up our home more than we ever have. And in the past month, we have done so. More times than we probably have in our marriage. Our home has been open. Because if my home is just a place for me to feed me, take care of me, make me rest, make me relax. If my home is just a place where I can take off the mask and finally relax. That's not the way God designed the home to be. I don't know what your context looks like. I don't know what it looks like for you, but somebody, some, some people in this room that you've shut off your life to the outside world, it's not complicated, it's not hard, it's not, it's not for the pastor to do, it's not for people, that, that it's, it's for us, it's for you, it's for me. I don't know what it looks like to you, but maybe it's just as simple as opening your doors, saying let's fellowship together, let's have a meal together. Let's sit down and, and, and communicate to one another. We can't, we can't be so afraid of being honest and open with people that we don't open up our lives. It's the greatest deception of hell for us to remain behind a mask and pretend around the people of God and then go home and, whoo, glad that's over. Whoo, I can finally rest. I can finally I can finally get some, wait, wait, wait. Isn't there something wrong with that? Is it, just, is it just me or does something seem off about that? Something's not right if we feel this pressure to be something different than who we actually are here and then we go home and we peel off the mask and say, I'm going to be this way at church and this way at home. That's not the will of God. It's not the will of God. It's not the will of God. Well, people might judge me. People might, people might look at me different. Who cares the way people judge you and look at you? Who cares what people are going to say? If you just be willing to be honest. Listen, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. But I am perfecting. I'm going unto God. Listen, you're not going to find me one way here and one way at home. I am who I am. I say what I say. I say it the same way there as I do here. I'm going to be me. And I'm not going to let any spirit or voice tell me otherwise. This is the rest wherein the weary can find. This is supposed to be restful. One another, fellowship with one another is supposed to be 
restful and peaceful, but somehow the enemy has robbed rest out of fellowship. He's robbed entertainment out of fellowship because somehow, some way, we feel like we have to present this perfect picture of an individual. And I don't, I don't know all the scriptures. I don't have all the things to say. I, I, I don't know. I don't have all the things to do. I, I, I can't open up my life. I can't open up my home. I don't have time. You have time. So I don't know what the context looks like for you, but our house has made a decision to open up our home. And I don't know what it looks like for you. God gave me a burden. I'm almost done. It's 1041. God gave me a burden for the Zanesville Community School. Four years now, I went to their graduation and prayed over students that I don't know, that I don't have a relationship with, that I've never shared the love of God with. At a general conference last year, God got a hold of me. How can I go to a ceremony and pray over a group of young people that I've never loved, that I've never shown the love of God to, that I've never given them an opportunity to feel his presence and feel hope. A lot of broken young people in that school. I don't know how it's gonna. I don't know how it's gonna work out. I've been working on it since general conference, background checks and applications and phone calls, and I hope it's gonna start within the next couple of weeks. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I do know that I have a mandate from God to go. I have a mandate from God to do something. It might not be perfect. It, it, I, I might get there and, and flop on my face. I, I don't know. I, I, I asked to volunteer for a couple hours a week. I, I don't know. It's, maybe I'll be sorting papers. I, I don't know. But I do know that where he leads, I want to do my best to follow. Where he calls, I want to do my best to obey. So I say to the wonderful people of God on this Sunday morning, you've been commissioned to go. You're a disciple of God. You've been given a gift that billions of people on this world are looking for. We cannot wait any longer. The hour is short. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Would you lift your hands toward heaven? Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. I've shared my heart with your people this morning. I pray today that a fresh burden, fresh fire would fall down on your people even now as I pray. I pray, God, a fresh fire would fall on your people. God, you have called us. You have commissioned us. You have equipped us. We've, we're full, Lord. We're full. We have enough to offer this world. And I pray today, God, that the church would be the church like it has never been the church before. Come on, somebody in this room, I, I want you to allow the Lord to speak to you. 
about what the context of going looks like in your life, about what the context of reaching your world looks like in your life. It's it's not going to be more than you can bear. It's not going to be beyond something that's possible for you. God will always speak to you in the realm of what is possible for your life. I want you to be open to it right now. Come on, the Lord's speaking to some of you right now on what this looks like, on what this looks like. Come on, all over the room, Lord. I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing, oh God, just for another moment. Come on, the Holy Ghost is here. The Holy Ghost is in this room. Oh, in the name, in the name, in the name of the Lord. I will say this before we transition. What compels us to go, to reach, to love people, to do all of that, the foundation of all of it is love. Somebody say love. If you operate out of guilt, it'll go for about a month, and then it'll stop. If you operate because you feel guilty, there ain't nobody in this church that's made you feel guilty. There's nobody, there's nobody that, we bring guilt on ourselves. We bring guilt on our own selves. I'm not doing enough. I'm not saying enough. I'm not being enough. We, we, we bring guilt on our own selves. And something that, that is committed to out of guilt never lasts. But the basis of what we are doing, the basis of reaching, is that I have fallen in love with my Lord. I have fallen in love with Jesus. And when I fall in love with Jesus, he puts a love in me for the people that he died for. And out of love, out of love, I open my home, I open my life, I open my finances, I open my time, I open myself out of love. I open myself to people that need what I have the basis and the foundation of every uh, every effort you will make in evangelism the basis of all of it has to be love love one more time before we go lift your hands and say lord i want to love what you love i want to love what you love i want to love who you love i want to love who you love oh god Make us like you, Lord. Make us like you, God. Make us like you, Jesus. Oh, make us like you, Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.